Hey Siri, define Borborygmus. Borborygmus is a technical term that means a rumbling or gurgling noise made by the movement of fluid and gas in the intestines. In other words, the feeling one gets when they have had a Bill Gray's garbage plate, wants to compare tastes, so has a Nick Tahoe's garbage plate, then decides to wash it down with a McFlurry. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Northridge Church. My name's Aaron Hickson. We're glad that you're here. Um, no matter where you're joining us from, we have four campuses that are in the Rochester area, and we also have a few hundred people that join us online every week, so we're glad that you're here. Um, and I get to pastor the Henrietta campus, and so I'm excited to be able to be joining them, of course, through the large screen there in the movie theater. Uh, hopefully you guys are doing well, and of course, again, at all of our campuses. And I'm excited to be kicking off our series called In Other Words. Now, if you know me, you should should know that this series should probably be called In Many Words. Um, I'm a talker, and it's hard for me to explain things simply, and so way too many words will be used. Um, but for the other guys, I'm sure they're going to be a lot more concise, so we can stick with In Other Words. But, um, you know, we do. Actually, we live in a world where a lot of words get way, way, way overused. Uh, let me give you some examples. Uh, the first one I think of is the word literally. Literally. If you know any millennials, you know that they use the word literally way too often. And ironically, they use it almost exclusively in the wrong context, right? Almost any time someone, a millennial, says literally, they actually mean figuratively, but that's the opposite of what the word means, so it's, the whole thing is, is just like one massive ball of irony, which millennials love irony, so I guess it works. But, um, and I'm making fun of myself, I think, although I don't know what defines a millennial, but whatever. Okay, moving on. Another word that gets used a lot, it may, probably too much, is the word like. The word like, right, as a filler word. You'll hear me say it, you'll hear lots of people say it, and it's just a good, it just kind of slips in there. Um, so many, you know, like, I like, I want to, like, major in communications and, like, someday I'll, like, you know, be on the, like, TV or something. Um, you should work on that. <laughs> but another one that gets used all the time, way too much, is the word lit. Lit. Especially if you hang out with some younger people, like, it's about to be lit, that kind of thing. Um, that, it's way over you. Like, can we stop with lit, okay? It's just way too much. People use it all the time. Um, another thing, people use a lot of words that, um, that used to be cool, but they aren't anymore, but like no one told them, so they're still using them. For instance, the word groovy. If you're still using the word groovy and you're not trying to be ironic, um, here's an insider tip. It's not cool, so stop. <laughs> uh, if you don't, uh, millennials will like literally make fun of you forever. Uh, see what I did there, because it's actually not forever, <laughs> but uh, okay. Another one is far out, far out, just no, okay, don't, don't use that. Or on fleek, that's what the rad kids are saying, speaking of words that aren't cool anymore, rad's not cool anymore, but um, 
if something is on fleek, it means it's like really well done. Like something that, that, was, that was well executed. Uh, but it got, on fleek was used for, for like a little while and it was used so much that it also just needs to be done. It's not cool anymore. Stop saying on fleek. But words, we know this, right? They can get totally overused. In fact, we get to the point, I think sometimes, where we say words without even recognizing that we're saying them or what they mean. Like the word literally, especially, we're using that word to mean the opposite of what it actually means. We aren't thinking about what the word means anymore. And that is, that's true with you know, any number of words, but I think it can be true of Bible words as well. If you grew up in church, then I think it's possible to get to a place where we've heard some of these words like a zillion times, and so we've stopped thinking about what they mean. Um, we, we actually use them without ever even investigating what they might mean. Or for you, if maybe you didn't grow up in church and you hear these words get thrown around by Christians and you go like, what does that even mean? It sounds like they're speaking another language. So if you've ever found yourself using Christianese because you grew up in church or you've been around church for a while, or if you've ever been around church and Christians and felt like they were speaking a language that you didn't understand, then this series is for you. We're calling it in other words and we're taking some time to define common Christian words, as well as some confusing Bible words. And we're hoping you'll hear some things in this series that help you better understand the words of the Bible, and maybe even some Christian books or resources that you read that will use some of this terminology. So just as a disclaimer in this series, we we won't be jumping into like a single passage to explain it normally. We'll just be looking at how this word tracks through a number of passages uh, throughout the Bible. So we want to jump into our word for today. That's kind of an introduction to the series. And this word today, it's a great example of a word that we use a lot without ever really thinking about its meaning. It's just part of the vocabulary of Christians and churches, but I do think that there's value in defining it, in actually understanding it. Um, So here we go. This is, again, one of the best examples of this, and it is the word salvation. The word is salvation. It seems like you cannot go long at a church service or hanging out with Christians without hearing this word thrown around. Christians be like, thank you for our salvation, or salvation through the blood of the Lamb, amen? Or Jesus is our hope and salvation, and it's like, what? What does that even mean? And there's, what what, what do we mean when we're conveying that term? Or it's really close to the word salivation, but... I don't think it's the same. Um, so what are we meaning by this word? Christians will sing songs. We're like, salvation, tearing through the dead of night. You know what I mean? And we're just like, yeah, but do, what, what does that word mean? It shows up in the Bible. In fact, it has a cousin that, that it means the same thing, and it gets thrown around a ton by Christians, and that's the word saved. And Christians will be like, Uh, you know, are you saved, or that's when I got saved, or did he get saved, or is she even saved? You know, that's, that's stuff that gets thrown around. What does that mean? Like, salvation. Where else do you hear the word salvation except for in a church, right? It's a church word, but we use it a lot, and we assume we know what it means, but do we really know what this word means? Like, if you were asked right now to write a simple definition of the word, could we do it? In fact, at all of our campuses right now, our volunteers are passing out paper and pens. We're going to ask you to write your name at the top and to write a simple definition of the word salvation, and we'll judge you based on your answer. Okay, obviously we're not doing that, but if you're a Christian and that made you nervous, 
then I would say that you might need this message more than you think. Because sometimes we think we know the definition to a word, but then when we're pressed, it becomes clear we're not quite sure. Uh, So this is not a word at all that we want to get wrong. This is a word that is really important. It's important because its meaning is at the heart of the message of Jesus. In fact, it's so much at the heart of his message that his name actually has the root word for salvation in it, which we're going to talk about more. But there is no word that you need to understand the definition of more than the word salvation because it affects your eternity. So we're going to take some time this morning to define it. But honestly, defining it actually isn't the hard part because it's not that complicated of a word. What this word means isn't actually as important as what it implies for our everyday life. What it means isn't as important as what it means for us. Okay, so let's jump in and let's see what we can discover together. Let's check it out. What does salvation mean? What does salvation mean? Well, like I said, it's actually not that crazy. This is the easy part. The word itself simply means to save. Salvation means to save. Uh, And that's nice, that's helpful, but that might not be the best definition because the word save means a, a number of different things in our world today. Uh, The most obvious definition of the word is one that you're probably thinking of right now, like uh, the story of the boys who were trapped in the cave in Thailand recently, right? We all tracked that story. Um, It's crazy, and we're so thrilled that the boys were saved, right? They were pulled from danger. They were brought to safety. They were saved, and that's one way that the word is used. That's maybe the most common way, but you can also save photos to your camera roll, right? You can also save documents to your hard drive. And there's also like a pitcher that's brought in in the end of a baseball game who's called the closer, and his job is to save the game, right? So we use this word in a number of different contexts. Which definition do we mean when we're talking about salvation? Does Jesus save us like the boys in the cave in Thailand, or does he save us onto a hard drive on his computer? What do we mean? So to make it even clearer, I think the, salva- the term salvation could also be defined with a different word, a similar one, that salvation means to rescue. Salvation means to rescue. The term salvation isn't about remembering something. It's all about rescuing, delivering, saving, or in some contexts, it even means healing. And it shows up in the Bible a ton of times. And I'm just going to run through a number of examples of where this word shows up. Acts chapter 4, verse 12, it says, Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind, by which we must be saved or rescued. Salvation and saved, they come from the same word in the original language. So you can, you can see their connection there. Revelation 7.10 says, And they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. In Mark chapter 6, And everywhere he went, this is Jesus, into villages, towns, or countryside, they placed the sick in the marketplaces. They begged him, that's Jesus, to let them touch even the edge of his cloak. And all who touched it were, get this, healed. That's the same word, healed, saved. Uh, Ephesians 2.8 says, For it is by grace you have been saved or rescued through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it is a gift of God. Titus 3.5 says that he, that's Jesus, saved or rescued us. Not because of righteous things that we had done, but because of his mercy. He rescued us, saved us through the washing of rebirth and the renewal by the Holy Spirit. So that's just a few examples. Clearly, this is a common theme. And salvation just means to be rescued. And that's why I use those terms interchangeably. 
In fact, it might even be helpful for you, maybe going forward, to, as you read the word saved, to exchange the word rescued in your Bible, because it conveys the meaning maybe a little bit more accurately to us in our culture. Because it loses, the word rescue loses all of like the weird, spooky, like spiritual connotations that the word saved has come to, to carry. Uh, so rescue sounds a little more important, right? A little more urgent. Um, and that kind of transitions us, I think, to what we need to talk about next. Um, because the idea of rescue really does something for us in our language that's important. If someone is rescued, it paints a fuller picture than just the word itself. The word itself actually carries some baggage. Because we know when we use that term that people get rescued from dangerous or vulnerable positions, right? Uh, All of that is just bound up kind of in the meaning of the word itself. And I think the word salvation does that too. And it's important that we understand it. I said earlier that we would see what salvation means, but we would also see what it means for us. So let's ask that question now. What does salvation mean for us? And in fact, I think that's the more important question because this is the more important thing. What it implies is actually more significant. Some words have implications, just naturally. They have baggage. For instance, if I say I'm falling, unless I'm using it metaphorically to say I'm falling in love, it implies something. It implies that I was at a higher place and now I'm moving to a lower place. Right, that's, kind of, that's an implication of the word falling. Or if I say that I'm hot, it implies that there's a state called being cold. Or if I say something is dirty, it implies that there's something called clean. Right? The, the, those words just carry some baggage. And salvation is also a word with implications. Salvation is a word with implications. And if we're going to understand the word, then we have to understand its implications. We have to know that there's a whole universe standing behind the door of this word. And if you assume you get the whole picture just by reading a dictionary definition, then I think you're missing out. You're missing some things. So what are those implications? What are they? Well, let's talk about them. What does salvation imply? What does it imply? Well, I would say the first thing it implies is a problem. Salvation implies a problem. Remember, we said it means to be rescued, right? And the idea of rescue occurring implies that there was someone in trouble, someone that was in need of rescue. Things get rescued that are in danger, right? A problem existed, and that problem was overcome, and thus the person was able to have been rescued, whether that person's a prisoner of war that was held by the enemy, or a person trapped inside a burning building, or a a car that was crushed in an accident. You don't get rescued from normal, everyday situations, right? You don't get rescued from an awkward lunch with your aunt and uncle. You don't get rescued from school. Okay, those were bad examples, Um, but you get my point, right? Rescue is something that implies a problem, not just a mundane problem like an algebra test. It's designed to be used when someone is in real trouble and they were pulled from that trouble. And that's the context that that word is used in in normal everyday life. But I think that that context or that implication is true in the spiritual sense as well. The existence of the word salvation in the Bible is, should be a massive blinking sign to us that ought to be alerting us to the fact that the Bible seems to think that there is something from which humanity must be rescued. If we didn't need rescuing, then this word wouldn't even exist. It wouldn't show up. 
I mean, admittedly, salvation is a positive-sounding word because it's about being pulled from danger, but that's the after-action report. (laughs) That's the end of the story. If you rewind a little bit into its implications, humanity finds itself in a world where rescue or salvation is necessary because it's in the midst of a very serious problem. Salvation is the good news that implies some really bad news. And the bad news is that we, as a human race, we are a hot mess. We're sinful people. We're born that way. We're born making the choices that we make. And I think it's important that we understand that this is a much worse scenario than any normal rescue situation. This is worse than a burning building. This is worse than a crumpled car from an accident. This is worse than a flooded cave. We sin which means we offend the perfect law that God has written. He's written the rules of our universe, and we've chosen to break those rules. Like a lot of times, we've all sinned. And sinful people end up with a problem because God is perfect, and God can't handle sin. So he has to punish it in his perfection, no questions asked. He's he's like a good judge looking at a guilty criminal. There's no escaping it. If he's a good judge then someone has to be punished, right? When we elect judges in our society, we aren't looking for a person who has a track record of like hunting down guilty people and then letting them off, right? That's not what we're looking for. We're hoping that justice is served, that guilty people receive the penalty for their illegal activities. Look, I recognize that our justice system is not always perfect and that that's not always the case. I'm not even meaning to comment on the fact that undoubtedly innocent people do go to jail and guilty people get off. I'm not really even meaning to comment on that. I'm just, my point is really that none of us like it when justice isn't served, right? That we don't appreciate that. We want guilty people to be punished. And that sounds reasonable, right? It just sounds like a sane society that's building the foundation for the rule of law. But that same sentiment is terrifying, if you're the guilty person. And unfortunately today, we are the guilty party. And as humans, we stand before God as a judge and we are 100%, no question, full of guilty behavior. There is DNA evidence, uh, there is fingerprint evidence, there's eyewitnesses, there's surveillance footage to prove our guilt. We have a huge problem. We're guilty and we are going to be punished. And all of that implication is tied up in the meaning of the word salvation. There is a huge problem. But then check out this verse in Romans 5. It says this. How much more shall we be saved, rescued from God's wrath through him, referencing Jesus? Well, this verse kind of sounds like good news, right? It doesn't sound like a problem. It sounds like this person thinks that we've avoided the problem. We've avoided punishment somehow. How is that possible? Well, remember, we're, we're talking about an inherently positive word, right? Salvation means to be rescued. It means that there is a way out of punishment. But the fact remains that the word implies that we are at this present moment without salvation. That we are at this present moment not rescued. That we are at this very moment in a vulnerable position. And that comes from the fact that we have a guilty verdict from our sin. We stand guilty before God. It creates a separation between us and him. We can't solve it. We can't fix it. It's a problem. And the consequences of this problem are death. 
but not just physical death, because if death was the only punishment, that would kind of be doable, right? Everybody dies, so that's no big deal. But, but the punishment of this is death forever, as in separation from God. The Bible calls this separation the second death, or hell. Life after death, that's terrible torment for, forever. And look, if you're newer to church, or Jesus, or just checking out Northridge or whatever, I, I don't know what you think about the afterlife and, and, and whatever. I know that that can get a little crazy, but whatever you believe about the life after death, the Bible itself isn't fuzzy on it. It's really clear, actually, and the picture it paints is not good for guilty people. We're in a bad place, and we're headed for a bad place. And all of that, all of that problem is implied in the word salvation. Because salvation is the good news that does exist, but it only has to exist because of very bad news that also exists. And if that bad news, the bad news is that if we are left to our own devices, we are headed for a terrible eternity. And so here we sit. But I am so thankful that this word implies something else. What is it? The other thing that this word implies is not just a problem, but a problem solver. A problem solver. Salvation requires a savior. Rescue requires a rescuer. I mean, right? That's, that's an implication. That's bound up in the meaning of the word. You don't rescue yourself. People get rescued by rescuers. And the word salvation in the Bible has that same implication. It has an incredible rescuer attached to its meaning. Acts 2.21 says this, and everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be rescued. Everyone who calls on the name of the rescuer will be saved. And also in Acts 4.12, it says, salvation, rescue is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be rescued. And so who is that person? What is the name that can save? The name that can save is the name of Jesus. Our rescuer is Jesus. Remember how I said his name? Actually, it's something that should have been a hint to us. Well, his name literally means God saves. And I literally mean that. Not in the millennial use. Like, it's actually the definition of his name. His name actually means God saves. It's the same word. His name in the original language, which was Hebrew, uh, it's just a compound word. It's two words smashed together, God and saves. In fact, his name was very common in his culture. It's actually the name Joshua in Hebrew, translated into Greek, is the name Jesus. It's very common. And, and it was common in that culture to name someone a name with spiritual implications, a name that reminded them of truth about God. Now, obviously, we do the same thing, but usually you kind of have to like do some digging to find out what your name means. But not, this was not the case for Jesus. His name was literally a compound word, two words smashed together. It would be like the name Johnson today. Kind of the obvious implied meaning there is John's son, right? It's a compound word, Johnson. Well, if Jesus had been born to an American family in 2018, his name might have been God saves. Like just one word, God saves. Because it was supposed to be obvious. His name has embedded in it the truth of who he is and what he did. He's the savior, the rescuer, the forgiver, the healer. The problem is enormous, enormous and unsolvable. We couldn't fix it. We couldn't pay our way out of it. We couldn't squirm our way out of it. We couldn't hire the right attorney. There were no loopholes. Our problem was inevitable, except for him, except for Jesus. 
except for our problem solver. Because God is the perfect judge, he must punish sin. Remember, we would never elect a judge who would knowingly let guilty people go free without punishment. So he must punish sin, and he did. In fact, he punished all of our sin with terrible fury and absolute justice. So how is it that we're able to endure that, to be saved? Well, instead of punishing humanity, he was willing to pour out his wrath instead on Jesus, instead of on us. Jesus functions as a substitute, a replacement. He stands in the courtroom and receives our guilty verdict in our place, and then he takes the death penalty that was meant for us. So we are, in that sense, saved or rescued from the wrath of God that we deserve and that happens because of our rescuer, the one who died in our place. Salvation implies a problem, that's our sin, and a problem solver, that's Jesus. Okay, so that's cool, <laughs> but what about me? Right? Like, what does this have to do with my life now that we've defined a word? What should we do? Well, actually, there was a guy who asked that same exact question. And his stories in the Bible. And I think it's tempting sometimes to think about the Bible as something distant, as something remote, removed from our situation. And, I, and then I get that. It was written a very long time ago to a different culture, uh, to people who seem like they're made of different stuff. People that, that just their whole being is just not like me. But I would challenge you sometime to try to think about the Bible differently. Think about it as a story full of people just like you made of the same stuff as you. They're not the main part of the story. It's, it's about God, but there are people in there who are just like you, and I think if we read it that way, you might find some things to be interesting. People are asking the same questions that you are, and they've been asking them for a long time. And this is a guy in a desperate situation, and he's asking how he could be rescued. He's not asking an intellectual question. This is a guy whose life was on the line. This is not like a man straightening up his tie and walking up to the pastor after the service saying like, Sir, how must I inherit eternal life? He's asking how his life could be saved from death. Acts 16.30, he says this. And then he brought them out and he asked, Sirs, what must I do to be rescued, healed, delivered? These are guys that knew Jesus. And he's asking them, what should I do to be delivered. And their response was this. They replied, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be rescued. In order to be saved or rescued from the punishment that you deserve, you must place your belief or your faith in what Jesus has accomplished. And so the same thing was true for that guy as is true for us today. You have to mentally agree first to a series of facts. Things like Jesus is God that he was perfect, that he died for you, that he came back to life, that you had a problem and that he was the solution and that there's nothing you can do to earn that solution, that he died in your place and came back to life. There's a series of facts that we must mentally agree to, but then we must also commit your life to him, to trust him, to rescue him, you, to surrender your life to him. That's wrapped up in believe. And in that moment, you are rescued or saved. You experience salvation. And I want you to understand something this morning, and this is so important. Salvation is for everyone. Salvation is for everyone. This is not something that's reserved for the good or for the emotionally elite or for the rich 
or for people who have never blown it, or for people who get straight A's, or people who are community group leaders, or people who go to church a lot, or people who wear t-shirts with the Northridge logo on them. This is not, that's not what they're reserved for. Salvation is for everyone. Because the requirement is not that you be a certain type of person or have achieved a certain series of spiritual benchmarks. The only requirement is that you've placed your faith in Christ and that you surrender your life to him. So in that sense, salvation is for everyone. Everyone who believes will be saved. It's for everyone. And I do mean everyone. I mean every single person. In fact, let's make it more clear. Salvation is for everyone, including you including you. This terrible news that we deserve punishment, it's true of everyone. But the amazing news is that while everyone is deserving of punishment, everyone is also eligible for the solution, free of charge. Salvation is for everyone, no matter what you've done, no matter who you've slept with, no matter what you've smoked, no matter where you've worked, no matter what he did to you, no matter what she did to you, no matter what you've looked at, no matter what you've paid for, or what you've lied about, or who your parents are, or who you're guilty of, or who you hang out with, or what skeletons are sitting in your closet, salvation is for everyone, including you. And I don't... I don't want this to be weird or creepy or some like awkward scenario for you, but this morning I would ask that every single person, I think it's important, that you evaluate whether or not you've experienced this salvation. Again, I'm not trying to create some scenario here. Do you, I just think about this. Do you know for sure that you've been rescued? Because there's no past he can't heal. There's no sin he can't overcome. His love, his mercy, his grace, they're so much greater than our sin. And so if you're here today and you haven't experienced that rescue, today's your day. Consider this rational offer, this reasonable possibility. It's not going to get weird or freaky. Just consider something, whether or not this is something that you need. Because your questions, have, they have answers. Please ask them. Maybe today could be the day that your questions are answered and you place your faith in Christ and you're rescued. But if you're here today and you already are a Christ follower, you've experienced that rescue. I think today's a day to be grateful and lavish praise on your rescuer for his love, for his sacrifice. Lavish praise on God for being willing to be a judge who would set you free. But we also need to remember that this is a message that we need every day. We don't graduate from this. You can't afford to go one day without reminding ourselves of the desperate nature of our position without God. But the step that I think we all need to take as Christ followers is the one that's hardest to pursue. (laughs) And that's that we need to share what salvation means with the people in our life who are far from God. The people in our life who don't yet know what it means. They might be able to get the question right on a test or whatever, but they haven't yet believed. They haven't come to see that salvation can be for them if they place their faith in Christ. And if we're truly grateful for our salvation, then we will share the news of what Christ has done. If we're truly aware of what God has rescued us from, then we will be wild about making sure that those in our life who have not yet been rescued will hear about the rescue that's available to them. I mean, if our heart breaks for the boys trapped in the cave in Thailand in need of rescue, and there were hundreds of people who flew from all over the world to be of assistance in that scenario, imagine what our willingness ought to be to be involved in a rescue for those who stand in need of a rescue from an eternity 
apart from God. Salvation is for everyone today. But the craziest news that I've heard is that salvation is for everyone, including me. Let's pray. God, thank you for your rescue. We recognize that, um, no, actually we don't recognize how bad our situation was. A couple minutes of talking about it doesn't even get close. So I pray that you would give us an ever-deepening awareness of how bad it was and then also how good your grace is. And that that would give us boldness to tell others and that those who are here today who don't yet know you, um, that they would consider whether or not they would like to be rescued from what is a terrible end. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.